Welcome to the Ship.io podcast. We are doing a new format today. Um, we wanted to start this for a while. We're going to call this thing Origin Stories, where we essentially talk to people in the industry, especially senior folks who, uh, who have come a long way and, and kind of figure out how they got into it and the path they took and why, they, why they've made the choices they've made in their career. And hopefully that'll help some younger folks before they make those big choices themselves. Uh, we're, we're all at home still. We're all remote. So... That's the way it is in this quarantine uh, time frame that we're in, if you're listening to this in the future. But uh, we're recording this over Zoom. And uh, right now, uh, we've got myself, Brandon Askov, and Matt Merrill's on the other end of the line here. Matt, you want to introduce yourself? Hey, I'm Matt. I'm a principal developer at Rocket. I've been working at Rocket for about a year now. Um, that's right. And uh, principal at Rocket means super senior. Um, so Matt is... Uh, <laughs> how long have you been doing this, actually? Let's start there. I started in some some capacity in 2005. That's when I kind of began my career. I didn't start with development then. I was doing, um, we'll call it like the equivalent of like product management back in that time. And I did that for about a year and then I started doing development. Okay. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, What was the company that you started at where you kind of made that shift? I started at a big giant insurance company. I, I think I'll just avoid names for now, but um, sure. so I started a big giant insurance company and I actually started in what they call the development program for technical folks. And um, that's why I didn't start out with development right out of the gate. It was actually a really interesting experience where they had a program where you could go into a bunch of different technical disciplines right out of college. It was basically, they, they, they purposely hired you for this. They, they hired people that had kind of a, a blend of business and technical backgrounds, which is my background. And um, so they started you with like product product owner type work, developing requirements at the time. It was more waterfall. And uh, then they put you in some technical training and then you developed, uh, you know, a full blown application for a year, like as a, as a team of newbies. And then they put you out kind of into the field. It was kind of funny because I didn't think that I would like software development. I actually started as a comp sci major. I did uh, about a year of comp sci and I said, I don't want to program all day. Funny enough when I actually, uh, so I switched over to information systems as a major and um, I actually even transferred schools. And uh, funny enough, once I started programming, I found, hey, when this isn't just purely theoretical and doing little toy projects, I actually kind of like this. Like it's not just black and white. So that's kind of how I fell into it. You know, I've heard that about uh, comp sci majors before where people don't have necessarily a concrete example of how you're going to use something. And um, I wrote it. It's funny. I wrote a blog post about this a while ago um, called learning from the middle out oh, just because yeah. I was trying to ride that wave of Silicon Valley terminology. But basically the idea is like jumping into the middle and then learning your way outward from there. I think people can get bogged down and trying to learn the, the building blocks of something first. It was sort of be like, all right, well, we're going to learn how to, um, make a toolbox but first we're going to log a tree yeah plane it put it into boards and like process it and it's like you don't need to know all that just just go get some lumber and build a toolbox that's basically where that's where i went i'm not a comp sci major either so that was my like my perception of that now that's interesting to hear that that was your um your relationship with the comp sci program as well okay so you got into this through that insurance company did you how long did you stay there before you before you maybe decided to jump ship I was there way too long. That's a pretty typical thing. Is that your first company that you're at? Yeah, it was my first company out of college. Pretty loyal. 
Well, I mean, quite frankly, they, like there were a lot of good things about that job. I was there for uh, almost eight years, oh, wow. which is very unusual, especially now, but even still, you know, 15 years ago, that was unusual as well. You know, there were a lot of good things about it that kept me there. But ultimately, the reason why I left it, I just wasn't growing. I was stagnating in my technical career. I just wasn't g- being given the, the leeway to actually make progress. I felt quite stifled. I went to a kind of, we'll call it like a semi startup. It was like a startup backed by a larger company. And what's kind of funny about that is I got to, I really got to grow technically quite a bit, but in terms of management, um, that company was not managed very well. So I always like to say I learned a lot technically there. And I also learned a lot about what not to do in terms of like managing a software project. Um, and then I worked for a uh, not-for-profit, excuse me, a not-for-profit company that did a lot of research for the government. And I worked there for almost five years and running running software teams there. So it's kind of my crash course in my background. Okay. I know that you're, uh, you definitely pride yourself as a back-end dev. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm curious, you know, there's always these options along. I always say this about like, you know, there's certain career opportunities that have never presented themselves to me. Like, how come I'm not a NASCAR driver? I like to drive fast. <laughs> like, <laughs> how come I never got that opportunity? Um, you know, when it comes down to this career, you know, you get a few chances of like, you could go back end specific, you could be front end dev, you could be DevOps, you could do yeah. a bunch of things. Um, how did you end up choosing the path that you chose? How'd you end up going that way? I kind of fell into it, but I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, I actually think it was kind of serendipitous. Um, the couple, first couple of roles that I had, I fell into backend Java development. We were doing at the time, it was service-oriented architecture was the big is the big thing, right? And I was developing SOAP-based web services. If anybody's listening to this that remembers those, I'm sure that a chill just went down their spine. I fell into it and I found that I just... I really loved Java. I loved kind of the organization of it and the cleanliness of it and things like that. And I just got, I I had a really excellent mentor. He was big on DevOps stuff. He was big on code quality and things like that. And he just really got me psyched about that and taught me very, very, very well. I still stay in touch with him. I owe a lot to him. What was kind of funny is from there, I did that for a few years and I always, I would constantly get frustrated. I wasn't doing front-end development, constantly get frustrated. I wanted to be a front-end developer so bad that I couldn't get any experience. So I ended up like moving around the company and trying to get front-end experience. Nothing shook out. To make a very long story short, I took my previous job to Rocket thinking that I would do more front-end development and I started doing it. And I was like, yeah, no, I don't think I want to do this. Um, I actually think I like, <laughs> I like what I was doing before. And then I just kind of leaned into it. And I was like, yeah, I like doing back end of I appreciate front end of I, I think it's amazing what people can do with front end of I just, it's just not my forte. Do you uh, do you feel vindicated when you hear someone like Scott O'Brien, another senior engineer that we have basically say that the front end is now a postmodern hellscape because you're like, well, it's a good thing I saw the writing on the wall and went the other way. <laughs> no, no, um, no, not at all. I think it's more just a, it's just a person, it's just a personal thing. Like I just, I think it's just different strokes for different folks. I know what I like. I know what I'm good at. Yep. And I think like lately, as I get older, I just, like I said, I lean into it a little bit. I've committed to it. There aren't a lot of people that will like fly the flag of I'm a backend of and I'm proud of it. Damn it. I'm not saying I do that. I think that that needs to be some more of that. Like I've tried to commit to it by making my backend discipline a lot more structured and really try to go deep into those concepts. You and I have had conversations before about how backend dev these days is starting to blend into DevOps. So like that's, that's an interest of mine and things like that. So yeah, that's, that's kind of how I fell into it, so to speak. And I just embraced it. Yeah. It's funny. I've talked about this before where I talk about the skill set in our world is like a, a t-shape a lot of people have a some breadth they go kind of wide on some topics you know 
maybe some back end, some front end, a couple different languages. You just get some broad concepts. It's good too. It's really healthy to get those, see it from other points of view, see other programming languages and see different paradigms. It seems like uh, the more senior people get, they go deep in one area. And for you, that's backend dev. For me, I focus on the front end and I like JavaScript. So I guess I could say I've gone deep on JavaScript, but for the most part, I keep just learning new platforms and new things at a very general level. So I'm making my T go really wide right now. Yeah. And I don't know if that's healthy. We'll see what happens. Oh, no, I think it's, I just think it's a different approach. I think that there's needs for generalists and there's needs for specialists. It all depends on the need, the need of the project. Yeah, it's a great point. I think about the people we work with, you know, we see startups and we see established companies. And I think that when we look at startups, they value generalists because we can direct them toward, oh, don't pick that platform. You're going to make a mistake with that. Yeah. Uh, their support's terrible, or maybe their APIs don't work or whatever. Go this way instead. So we try to steer them off that path. When it's a more established company, they they really need specialists. Someone like me doesn't really fit in very well at places like that because they need people who can go very deep and solve very hard problems. You know, I'm thinking about people like Adam Frazier and Steve Abrams who are doing like that genomic stuff and like yeah. the way they talk about it just blows my mind. They have to understand the problem space so deeply. I consider myself a generalist too. It's kind of funny. It's like, it's almost like I'm a generalist, but I have, I just don't do front end dev. You know what I mean? I, I know Java. I know JavaScript. I know a little bit of Python. Like I have a broad array of knowledge and, and language experience besides Java and JavaScript. I don't go that that deep, but I like to be aware of those things. One of the best pieces of advice I ever got, I think it was on a panel at a conference. Somebody asked the question of like, how do you know so much? And he was like, I actually don't know so much. I just know a little bit enough to be like, hmm, I can go ask somebody about this or, oh, I remember hearing about something like that. And I know enough just to be aware of it. It's not like I go, like I know enough to tell you intelligently about how to use that, but I'm aware of it. I can throw that out as an option on the table. And that always resonated with me of like, okay, all right. Sounds good. Like I don't necessarily need to like go and know Ruby very deeply, Yeah. but if I know the characteristics of it and I know what it's good at, then I can make a more informed decision. And you know, where as, as some, if somebody who's listening to this is more junior in their career, you start thinking about becoming more senior and finding out, knowing what you're not good at and finding people to help supplement you and staff your project to know like, Oh, this particular problem would be great for Ruby. We should get a Ruby developer to come help us. That's a really valuable thing to know and have. So you're right, though. But this is interesting. So um, and it's a good segue because I kind of want to talk about like lessons learned the hard way. And, and uh, if you pick the wrong technology, let's say I decided when Angular JS first came out, I'm going to be the Angular JS guy or Dart. <laughs> That's even better. <laughs> I'm going to just be this. If anyone who knows that, like if I just pick these text uh, stacks that are like maybe not that popular anymore or kind of haven't the test of time, but I was an expert in that. Was that a waste? You know, what, what are some of the lessons you learned the hard way along the way? I mean, maybe that might not even be like choosing the right thing. It might just be like, oh, don't mouth off to your superiors or something like that. You know, the, what are some of the lessons you've learned? But that one made me think of that. One of my first big lessons, it has nothing to do really with technology. It has to do more with just like managing, managing your own time is uh, when you're a more junior dev um, and you have a pause in work, there's this, there's this desire to do like i need something else to do i need something else to do and what i always tell junior devs is like when you have that impulse really think about the bigger picture of the entire work program that you're working in right like think about what's coming down the pipe okay you squashed five bugs but are those bugs going to come back to you in a day and haunt you because they're not fixed right that was one of my big like lessons learned the hard way was like just keeping taking stuff taking stuff taking stuff and taking on too much and then 
you front load, you, you know, you just keep taking stuff on and it has this boomerang effect where it comes back and just haunts you. And ultimately you can work through it, but you might exhaust yourself or even worse, your, you know, the quality of your work will go down because you're spreading too thin. So that was a, something learned the hard way. I have done that. So I appreciate that. Yeah. I think we all, we all have, and that's not a technical thing. One of my big lessons learned in, in terms of technical stuff was um, one of the projects I worked on, we had a, a person in a position of authority uh, who was sponsoring a, a, a program of work for us. They, they basically wanted a big data architecture. When we were first working on the project, I kind of like raised my eyebrows a little bit. I was like, huh. I wonder what problem they're trying to solve. Okay, cool. Sounds awesome. Like, cool. We can work on a big data architecture. We're going to put an event bus in here and we're going to process millions of events a second. Da, 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 da. Let a whole team to design this architecture that was like, I mean, on paper, man, this was like the best diagram you've ever seen. And we started building it where we, we almost got it to production. And ultimately at the end of the day, we, we just got slapped in the face with the reality of, wow, I don't think anybody knows what this thing is actually supposed to do. So we create, we spent a lot of time and a lot of money and a lot of you know blood sweat and tears building this uh this environment out great technologies amazing devops stuff at the end of the day to provide a minuscule amount of value people understandably were very upset about that it was my big huge lesson in you've heard me say this on the podcast before in yagni you ain't gonna need it i was probably one of the more pivotal moments in my career where it's just like if you get that feeling, hmm, what is this thing actually going to do? You really need to stick up for that and really ask some deep, deep questions about why are you building what you are being asked to build? I don't think enough people do that. Um, really understand why they're building what they're building. Um, I think it sets a really amazing developer apart from just a good developers knowing what not to build. And that was a, just a huge, huge lesson in my career. I hit that same Yagni lesson a totally different way, but I like the way you've learned it instead. Oh, I'd be curious. I'd be curious. Oh. My way was, uh, I remember someone using the phrase bull in a China shop. And it was the first time I had worked. I had been done so many agency style projects. Um, my whole life, I'd never worked on like a product, a proper product team. And so when this particular new job, I was working with a product team and I hadn't learned yet how to, how to do some of those nuances. And like great example is don't refactor a bunch of stuff when, before you understand it and just don't open massive PRs that people can't review and, and things like that. And I kept doing that over and over because I, I wanted to, I was so engaged in it. And I, and someone taught me that what Yagni was because I kept being like, well, in the future we might X, Y, Z. And you're like, yeah, but we don't right now. Right. And you're just adding complexity for no reason. And this goes back to that clean code podcast we had. I thought about that the entire time we did that. Cause it was like, you know, I might've refactored, I'm sure I did refactored stuff so much that it actually made it harder in the future to use it so so what's next for uh for matt like what are you what are you looking forward to in your career what do you uh, what's what's on the horizon one of the reasons why i chose rocket is because when i was interviewing for a new job people would ask me like what do you want in your career they would ask you that and i was like you know actually i kind of like what i'm doing i like to do i like to do coding not too much not too little i like doing some project management type work I like working with customers. I would be turned off by jobs that were like, no, this is just a, man a technical management role. You won't actually be doing any, any coding. Most places, I would say, looked down on that blend of technical and management work. Rocket embraced it. They were like, that's perfect. 
like well, that's what we need it's been great because that's exactly what i'm doing it's kind of funny i, I tell people I'm like i can't code all day no i can't either it's, it's so funny to hear that from a developer but like i go through fits where i'm very productive at coding and i love it I, it's like you know it's that zone moment where you're just time goes away and you're just coding yep but i can't do it all the time so i'm really happy where i am i think the only thing like the thing that i want to grow into is just learning more about the subtleties of how to structure technical projects and how to staff them correctly and you know knowing enough about all those technologies to make the right broad fundamental technical choices at the beginning of a project to make your life easier at the end like i think i have experience doing that but you don't get too many opportunities to do that in your career to say that you're really good at it i think anybody who says that is a liar my idea is just just keep honing that skill until I retire. <laughs> there you go. You're right. It's true. Ashley Streb, one of our founders, has always had the mindset of you don't have to stop being a maker just to be good on a management track. You can do both. And he did that at Brightcove and he showed that you could do both. And it's true. I'm with you. Like, I can't code every day, or at least I sh certainly shouldn't. I realize now how unhealthy uh, my lifestyle kind of was for me, both from like I'd get in the zone for 12 straight hours and just like not sleep and then crash the next day and just burn a ton of stuff. And it felt great. But I mean, I was like, thank God my girlfriend could take care of everything else because <laughs> I was just like out of commission for like a day or two. Um, and then there were times where I would get really frustrated by certain code bases because they didn't work the way I wanted them to or someone who wrote something like wrote it poorly. And I was just like wanted to table flip stuff all the time. Um, so for me, it seems like having this blend of of coding sometimes where it's like, a, you know, two, three hours a day if I can do it. And like sometimes I, I know, don't get me wrong. It's like there's been I think the longest stretch I've gone lately without coding, maybe like a week and a half or two um, without like writing a line of code. But. I like the blend now and I like that do the same thing with you. I like the, uh, the customer interaction. So maybe that's part of what makes a, a great rocketeer is like that, that seniorness. Like I want to keep learning and I love dealing with customers and I like coding still. I think there, there's like two main characteristics of people at rocket. One is that you have a good sense of humor, <laughs> but yeah. the other one is just well-roundedness. I think that everybody at rocket is well-rounded. And I think the other, the other thing that you were saying, well, if more junior people are listening to this is like you and I are at a point in our careers where we've been doing this for a while. Right. And I think you and I are very alike. Like we, we don't like to just code all day and all that. And like, I, I almost wish I were like that. I think it would make things easier for me. I'm just not. Yep. But that's okay. Yeah. And it's just for anybody junior listening to it, it's just an interesting thing to think about is that's an option for you. You know, like you don't have to just do one thing all the time and you can find a niche for yourself. Yeah, that's true. You mentioned it about, you know, managing projects and I'm a big believer in this too, that um, we have a lot of great devs at Rocket and sometimes it doesn't work out and that's almost always an environment problem, meaning it's not a right team, it's not the right project for them. It's not a great fit. Uh, maybe they feel like they're being handcuffed. Maybe they feel like they don't gel with the team or they want to kind of get their ideas across and they can't. There's a million reasons why it might not work out. Um, but when you get that structure right, like you were saying, like getting the team right and getting that, that set up correctly, it, it can be magic. And it's, it's great to see that. So if you, like you're saying, if you're a newbie, if you feel like you're kind of hitting your head against the wall or maybe you're not progressing fast enough, or like Matt mentioned earlier, if you're um, not getting a chance to play with front end technologies that you want to, and you keep begging for that kind of stuff, that's normal. Like that, that happens to a lot of people. And, and sometimes it does mean jumping ship to go to a different company. Your first company that you are at, and <laughs> correct me if you feel differently, uh, I'd say that you tend to feel, it's sort of like your first love. You tend to feel overly loyal. They, they feel like family. And then as, I think as soon as you leave your first company, you realize and go to your next company, you're like, these people are also cool. And uh, just keep in mind, as fun as our jobs are and as lucky as we are to get to work on all these cool projects and do this really cool work that a lot of people don't get to do, your relationship with the company is we get work from you and you're the best of your abilities. 
hopefully, and we compensate you for that. It's a, it's not a family. It's a business relationship and business relationships are temporary. That's like a Japanese proverb. Business is temporal. So if you feel like you need to leave to progress your career, that's okay. I would just warn against jumping ship too frequently. That looks bad. Don't feel like you have to be stuck at your place forever. If you're not liking where you're at right now, some good advice for newbies. Anything else you want to say before we move into picks? No, I'm sure I'm forgetting something I wanted to talk about, but that's fine. Thankfully, you're on the podcast anyway, so <laughs> we'll have many more times to speak. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'll, we'll, we'll do an addendum. Cool. So let's, uh, let's dive right into it. I'll pass it to you first. The one that came to mind immediately was the book Uncanny Valley by Anna Wiener. I think it came out in January 2020 for anybody listening to this in the future. My God, what an amazing book. It's about a uh, woman that worked in publishing in New York City, and she kind of fell into a career in tech, and she ended up moving out to Silicon Valley and working at GitHub. Um, and I mean, it's a memoir, and it's written with no company names. It almost feels like it's in a dystopian future because of the way she writes it, even though you know, some, some companies, you know what they are, some you don't. And some of the story, like, it's just very well written. Um, she's incredibly insightful. And it also gives you a good picture into kind of the nightmares that female employees in tech have to deal with. I'll, I'll stop there. It was just, it's one of the best books I've read in quite some time. I heard about that coming out, but I haven't heard anyone review it yet. Back when we were in the office, I was, I was shouting its praises. So it was very good. I know. God, I missed those times. Let's see. What will my pick be? Since everyone's, well, not everyone, but some people have extra time on their hands. It's a good time to listen to some interesting stories. And if you want to get out and stretch your legs, there's a great podcast if you're into tech called Darknet Diaries. They tend to cover hacking events and whatnot. There's two particular episodes that I found just wild, just insane. Like they should make a movie out of this kind of thing. It's called Xbox Underground Part 1 and 2. If you were around way back when, when uh, the Xbox One came out and, and there was a way to turn it into an Xbox Media Center, that was these guys. Uh, if you remember certain games like Half-Life, and Half-Life 2 being leaked ahead of time and Gears of War 3 being leaked ahead of time. That was these guys. It goes way deeper than that. It ruined a bunch of people's lives in a way that was really fascinating for people who just wanted to hack an Xbox to start with. It's a wild ride. Darknet Diaries, Xbox Underground, part one and two. Very, very good stories. I love that podcast. Jack Resider does an amazing job telling those stories and those were, those were two particularly good episodes. And they had this beautiful, like, unsolved mystery style, like music, like, yeah, it really adds to the whole thing. It's great. Yeah, he does. A, he does a great job. Okay, well, thanks, Matt, for joining. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, until we get ship it up again with with everyone, we'll see how the Zoom thing works out. Maybe we can do a a big episode soon. We'll see. Nice. Thanks for your time today, man. Yeah, you're welcome. Sounds like an ASMR video where you're like, you're like touching the, the thing. Hello. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, I will defend ASMR for a moment. Uh, when I was younger, I used to, like, I have that. Like, basically, when I would hear certain sounds, my brain would, it just feels like it's being tingling. It's like, it's like, holy, it makes me, I almost fell over standing up once. My grandmother or my grandfather was showing me a map of Maine where we were going to go down the Allagash. And I was like 25. And I was, he was just pointing. I was like, I'm going to fall over standing up. And when I was younger, I used to listen to Bill Clinton on C-SPAN when I'd go to bed because the way he talked would make that happen for me. Wow. I would describe this to people. I'm like, yeah, you know, like when you hear certain sounds and it's like your brain tingles and they're like, 
no. I'm like, me neither. No, definitely not. Uh, so <laughs> I just like, kept it to myself for a really long time. And then one day I found it on YouTube, like back in 2013, I think. And I was like, wait, what is this? And I listened to it and I was like, oh, there are others. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm glad you said that. I'm, I feel the same way. I actually, I walk, I, I watch them. I listen to them when I, when I go to sleep sometimes. I have like my favorite ASM artists and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah.